Well, welcome back to the Clear as Mud series. And again, if you're our guest, we're, we're doing is in this series, we're talking about how the church back in the book of Acts in the time period of what was called the Jerusalem Council clarified what the gospel was. And we've been looking then at the odd and semi-confusing things that come after that text that seem to take something that was clear and make it clear as mud. You know, one of the reasons things can be a little unsure and unclear when we engage in our faith anyway is because there's sometimes things that seem to be behind the, the closed doors. Like a pastor's life, oftentimes people are like, well, what do you guys do? Don't you just work like one day a week? You just preach and that's about it. Um, the answer is no. We also do weddings and funerals occasionally, and that's about it. So... Um, no, it, there's a lot of stuff. Obviously, we do counseling, we do other stuff. One of the hardest parts of your job oftentimes is, is saying goodbye to people, is filtering through the people who've come to the church, been around, and then moved on. And uh, sometimes that's, that's easy, uh, sometimes that's hard, and sometimes you don't know they left, and sometimes they let you know. And I think that's the worst one, is when everybody tells you, hey, here's what's wrong, and here's why we're leaving. And it's funny, because now after about 15 years of ministry, I think, I think I've heard almost all of them. I'm sure there will be new ones. But, I mean, I've had somebody sit me down and tell me basically, listen, Greg, we're leaving because you're not reformed enough. Meaning, like, I didn't believe enough in Calvinism or their version of how God elects people and stuff like that. And we differed, like, on a couple points or something like that. And so he, the, him and his wife, they left, and they were like, we're, we're out. Which was weird because I'm thinking in my mind, like, five years earlier, I had been sat down in my office by a couple that had been part of our leadership and were taken off. And they were like, you guys, we're leaving because your church is cursed, you're too reformed. And that was like the complete opposite perspective. Suddenly I'm like, this is weird. We've had people say the music is too loud. We've had people say the music is too soft. We've had people say they, you know, they like hymns and then we play hymns and people say, well, you don't play enough contemporary music. You know, we have people who literally go, you don't preach verse by verse enough. And other people have told me, you don't have enough topical in your life, uh, in your sermons for me. And so I'm just like, you know, this is really strange because the worst one, um, well, there's two worst ones. But one of the worst ones was we had a guy in my small group. He literally came up to me after small group one day, and he began to tell me how my clothing was not hip enough for him and, and how he needed to make sure that I, I dressed in the right way. And I'm like, do you know me? I mean, I'm a nerd. Nerd and hip do not ever go together. They don't meet in the middle. If that happens, it looks weird, and, and you don't want that. And so... That, that was interesting, and the last one that was kind of rough was uh, a couple that I'd known and I'd served with for a while uh, became the senior pastor, and they kind of said, oh, you're the senior pastor. Yeah, we're not going to come here anymore. I'm like, oh, why? They're like, you're just not a people person. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't seem to like, you're not good with people, and we just don't feel like you're going to be able to engender you know, people around you, and I'm th sitting here thinking, ow. It's just the eyebrows, dude. Come on, you know. That's, that's actually it's where the eyebrow jokes came from, and why I warn people who are new here. I'm an introvert, and I will forget your name. But these kind of things you process, you deal with these. And here's the important thing I want you guys to know: anytime somebody leaves, I don't assume they've left the faith. Can we be clear? Just because you come to Olive Branch and then you go to another church doesn't mean you've left Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a really important. In fact, I don't worry about Christians who have left because I am sure that a Christian is going to find their way into a Bible-believing, they're going to find their way into a gospel-believing church. And they're going to engage with that church and they're going to continue to move that church forward. So I don't fear when somebody leaves and, and moves out as a Christian. And so I just bring this up because the early church had these kind of struggles. People were kind of 
up and upset about church stuff. I mean, we saw that way early, just two weeks ago. We, we read the section where an entire group of Christians were arguing that after the nations, after Gentiles, non-Jewish people became Christians, they had to get circumcised and then they had to follow the Jewish laws. And then we spent an entire week talking about how that was clarified. No, it is upon you receiving Jesus that you're saved and you're in. And then they said last week, as we saw, you just have to abstain from four things. And these these abstaining was because you've been accepted by Christ. You abstain because Christ has received you. And so we worked through those last week. You can take a look at that and examine that. But they came to a unity. They came to a conclusion And uh, we're going to move forward because it gets muddy again just after this. In fact, if you want to follow me and see just how muddy it can get, we're going to go to Acts chapter 15. Grab your Bibles, open it up to verses 30 through 41. And we're looking again at this book. For those of you who are new to Olive Branch or maybe new to your Bible, uh, we are working through the book of Acts in uh, in various series. And this section is just after that council we talked about. Now, Acts is written by a man named Luke. He was a doctor, a physician, so we call him Dr. Luke. And he has been asked by a Roman official to write out the history of the, Christ, of the Christian faith. So he wrote his first scroll, his first, story, his first uh, book, basically. We would think of it as a book on the biography of Jesus. The second one, he writes, is the history of the church. It's the first 30 years, and that's what we're looking at here called the book of Acts. We've collected these books together. We've got them here. And so now we're jumping in. And what we have is this sudden growth of unity in the church. They've gone through this struggle over this question, and now they've written a letter, and they're sending men off, namely Paul and Barnabas and a couple other guys. Verse 30. So when they were sent off, They went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. So what you have here is they come down to these cities, to the city of Antioch. Actually, it's up north. And they go to the city. They start telling what had happened. Everybody is excited. Everybody's encouraged. We don't have to get circumcised. The men yelled amen, and everything went forward. They stayed around, and they, and they brought about a unity. And this is important because the unity in the church comes from the clarification of the gospel. When the gospel is clear, there's a unity in the church. When the gospel is gathered, the church is able to say, amen, we're all together on this. And this is still important today. We are unified as churches across Corona, across the world, in the gospel. It is the gospel that unifies churches. And it's funny because I don't think we always remember this because, yes, there are a lot of denominations and there are a lot of different things out there. And people go, hey, you know, it seems like the church is really divided. We're not. We're, we're, we have a unity around this gospel. But there are, some, there are some differences. Now, I think we forget that the unity is in the gospel. I was back at a, um, at a pastor's gathering. At these pastors' gatherings, we kind of gather together here in town every once a month, and we have conversations about how are you doing and what's going on in your congregation, and let's pray with each other and cry and, and weep because it's lonely as leaders and you know that kind of stuff. And then we start trading our best, um, our volunteers to each other because we want to. It's like a draft. I'm just kidding. We don't do that. Um, no, we're just kind of there. But inevitably, eventually, something that he raises their hand says, man, I just love this unity. We should have a big unity thing, like where we gather all the churches together and we're all doing the same event. 
Invariably, they go, yeah, it should be like a prayer and worship night. I'm sitting there in my head thinking, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. Can you imagine a unity prayer event with a Methodist, a Pentecostal, a Baptist, and a Presbyterian gathering under one roof? The Presbyterian sitting there going, you can't have communion. We're only doing it in our way, and we need to stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. The Methodist is over here making sure they're kind of doing their thing. They want to go away, and they want to have their prayer time, but they would need a second Holy Spirit. And the, Over there is the Pentecostals. They're singing, and they're dancing. They're waving their flags. They're speaking in tongues. They're praying over each other, and the Baptists are all looking at everything going, you all got it wrong. See, the one thing that divides the church the most is the way that we're doing worship. You know, some people don't want to sing this. They want to sing hymns. Some people don't want to hear a, a topical message. Some people want to hear verse by verse. So like we just said, the point is that the church isn't unified around our worship. The church is unified on the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what brings the church together. And when it's clear, it's not about how we worship God. It's the fact that Jesus Christ has borne our sins on the cross. That he rose from the dead to give us life. That our sins are dealt with in his work and we can stand right before God. That is what unifies and gets us together. That's what gets us excited. It got Paul excited. He was motivated by this unity as we see. In fact, we move forward in verse 36. It says, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. He said, let's go back and encourage them. Let's go tell those guys. They need to hear that they don't have to be circumcised and follow the Jewish law. And we know that they were confused because we have a letter from Paul to those cities. It's called the, the letter of the Galatians. It's in, in your book, in your Bible. And you can read it. And he's very clearly laying out the difference between being circumcised and following all the Jewish food laws versus trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. And the whole book is... That's, does not, that's not what we're doing. We trust what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. We trust what he did in his resurrection. And so Paul clarifies the gospel. He's excited about this. He wants to take it back to these churches they had planted. And those of you who haven't been with us, Paul and Barnabas are kind of this dynamic duo. They've gone out and they've been planting churches all through what we would call today modern Turkey. In that time, it was called Asia Minor. And they were going throughout the interior after they had sailed to an to a island off the coast called Cyprus, brought the gospel all the way there, sailed across to this Turkey area, made a whole bunch of churches there, and come home. And so Paul and Barnabas are seeing miracles. They're watching churches form. They're excited to go back to these churches and make sure that they're doing well. And yet something happens. Verse 37 picks up. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to, take one, not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had gone to the, with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. And suddenly, we're talking about a church that's just unified and a dynamic duo that's supposed to go out and talk about that unity and they're going to break up. They're going to go their opposite ways. What is going on here? What's happening in this situation? Well, a little bit of a reminder of the history. When they had finished in Cyprus, at the end of their time in Cyprus, they'd gotten to this guy named Sergius Paulus. And they'd preached this message to Sergius Paulus, Paulus and unfortunately there was another guy named Elamus who was trying to, or bar Jesus as he's known, he's, trying, he's a magician trying to bring about false news, and they, make him, they basically go, 
God's making you blind. He goes blind, and Sergius Paulus comes to Christ. And then they sail up to Turkey. Well, right when they get to the port town, we read this situation. It says in Acts 13, 13, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, that's, on, that's the port city in Cyprus, and sailed up to Perga in Pamphylia, that's the southern coast of Turkey, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So John Mark goes, I can't handle this. I'm out. He moves back to Jerusalem, grew up in Jerusalem. And now Barnabas is like, let's get that guy and bring him with us again. That'll be great. And Paul's like, no. Mr. Chicken, Mr. Can't Make It, Can't Hack It, Put Your Hand to the Plow and Look Back. No. Paul's very serious. He feels like this is just out of bounds. This is not going to happen. And I'm sure he had things in his mind like, look, if you can't hack it, if you can't bring the gospel without feeling freaked out by all the other things that are surrounding you in the Roman world because you grew up in Jerusalem, you're not going to hack it on this one. We need guys who are going to make it. We need guys who are going to press forward. We need guys who are going to go, go, go. Barnabas, however, is thinking, no, man, this is my cousin. Oh, interesting. He's probably either uncle or cousin. This guy's like, no, but listen, we need to bring him back up. I swear he can do this. I will vouch for him. We'll train him. He'll be able to do this. And Barnabas has this heart, right? Barnabas is the guy who, who brought Paul up and brought him into the area and made him clear with the apostles. Barnabas is the guy who sells off tracts of land to give it to the church to help people out. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. That's what his name means. And he's going, no, we're not going to give up on, on John Mark. I mean, Jesus didn't give up on Peter. He reinstated him. Why can't you, Paul? Paul's going, because we don't have time to retrain somebody. What if we get into these cities? And we show up and they go, who's that guy? Oh, he's the guy who abandoned you before we got here the first time. You think that's going to work well? You can just hear their arguments. Back and forth, back and forth, point after point, piece after piece of the, of the message of Jesus. How it's going to work and why it's important, why it's not, and why we need to build them up. And back and forth. They couldn't agree. They were so frustrated with each other, they decided, we just got to do this separately. But now I want you to note a couple of quick things. First and foremost, they didn't disagree about the gospel. They weren't saying, oh, the letter's bad and what we decided was wrong. No, they couldn't agree about the methodology. One wanted to go, go, go. What happened when Paul, before Paul was a Christian? He said, I hate the church, let's kill it. And when he became a Christian, he said, I love the church, let's build them. And so he just was a go-get-it kind of guy. And Barnabas is that encouraging kind of guy. They had two different philosophies of ministry, and they both went after them in the separate directions. Much of our denominational differences are because churches disagree on how to do ministry, not because we disagree on the gospel. And this is my little, um, my little limerick for the day, but it's basically... With the gospel, we agree, but we're diverse in the delivery, right? That's the idea. With the gospel, we agree, but we're going to be diverse in our delivery. We're going to be diverse in the way that we bring it about. We're going to be diverse in the way that we understand how it comes out of our lives. Some people are more comfortable with rock music. Some people are more comfortable with hymns and organs. Some people are going to be more comfortable with a sermon that hits topics in theology. Others are going to be more comfortable going verse by verse. Guys, this is just disagreements over how to do ministry. And so there are lots of, quote, divisions in the church. I mean, it can get very minute, very simple. Uh, there was a couple years ago, I was sitting at breakfast with somebody, and another pastor by the end of the breakfast came up, sat down, we started talking, and he set his Bible down on the table, and little did I know, he set his Bible down on top of one of my books I had, and he whisked the book away along with his Bible. And I'm like, oh, my poor book, right? It's gone. 
He calls me later. He's like, I got this weird book. I don't know where it came from. I'm guessing it was yours. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my book. And my mentor wrote it. He's like, well, do you want to come get it? I'm like, well, you kind of stole it from me. Why did you, like, drop it off? You know, kind of joking back and forth. I said, I got an idea. Why don't you hold on to it and just read it? You got it. Just read it through, and we can talk about it. Let me know. He's like, no. I'm like, what? He's like, I, I only run my church by the Bible. I'm like, ooh, ow. You know, this is my mentor pastor wrote the book. And I'm like, okay, I still don't have it. But, and I, um, but, the, uh, but the point is that very obviously we have different opinions on who can give wisdom and insight into how a church should run. And, and, I, and I understand that. There's going to be differences of opinions. That's why he runs his church and we run this one. There's, there's differences. That's not, now he is a faithful presenter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His church is faithful in evangelism and is faithful in discipleship. And I, they are not, not Christians. We just disagree on some little things. Look, I can't go into ministry with a Presbyterian who believes you should baptize babies. We don't baptize babies. I don't agree with that theological position. I think a believer is somebody you baptize. You don't baptize somebody who can't profess faith. Um, they have a different context for their theology, and so they think of it as a covenant with God and the family and for the children. And so we dedicate children. They baptize them. Can't go there. You know, some churches want to have tongues in the middle of their services. Other churches believe you can't have any tongues anywhere. I can't fit in either of those camps. And so there is this tension that we all live in. And here's my point. God has given to every church a method, something he's called them to do, a vision and a direction. Here at Olive Ranch, we all have the same co-mission, right? We all have the same go into all the world and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That whole thing is the same thing, to make disciples of all the nations. Here, we say we're going to love, live, and share Christ wherever we go. That's what we've landed on. And what we mean by that is you're going to love Christ. I mean, you need to dive in personally, intimately, to get to know him in the word of God, to get to know him as you read it, as you study, as you pray, as you contemplate, as you dive in and understand who he is and the disciplines that you can gather in knowing Christ. That's the goal is to know him and to love him, to savor him, to cherish him, and then to move into living for him. It's not just don't leave it at your house and shut the door in your closet. It needs to come out in your vocation. It needs to come out in your, in your home life. It needs to come out on your block. It needs to come out when you're shopping. You're, the faith that you have needs to be lived everywhere. And so we offer opportunities like James Projects and opportunities throughout the, throughout the, the weeks with these love weeks and things like that. The goal is that we live it out. We, we share this kind of life and we share the gospel with our words. We want to help you guys know how to tell the gospel and speak the gospel and invite people to see and hear about Jesus and receive Jesus. And we do that wherever we go. We do it here at church. We do it when you're out in the, out in the mall. We do it when you're in another city. You do it when you're in another country, wherever we go. And that's what we aim at. And so when we talk about what our method is, it's to train people in these because you guys are the church. We're the help. We're the equipment managers. Monitors. We, we hand out the equipment and ensure you guys are ready to go so you can give the gospel because you guys are the ones in the trenches. You're on your block. You are in your vocation talking to those employers or employees and all that stuff that you have. Me, I'm in a little cloister. I've preached the gospel to Brent, I can't tell you how many times now. <laughs> but the point is that our job is to help you guys move forward. Now, that means something to me. That means you may be a guest here today. You're checking out Olive Branch. 
And you may not agree with all the methodology. You may have just listened to that music and gone like, yeah, I don't know. It's a little loud. I can't really handle it. That's okay. That's all right. You may be sitting there going, I don't know how we give out the gospel. What is this church about? What are your beliefs? And and you need to understand, there's some theological triage that we were taught about a couple weeks ago that we need to have, right? That there are essentials in the faith. There are these things that we need to agree upon because if you don't, it's going to dissolve the gospel. I'll give you an example. If you don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, then how do you understand him as being sinless? And if he isn't sinless, how can he bear our sins if he's under his own judgment? And you see, it dissolves the gospel. If we start to believe the Bible has errors in it, and we start going like, look at all these errors, and when you start to realize, wait a minute, when can I trust the Bible? When can I? This path that's led to is eventually, I can't trust the gospels, I can't trust the Bible, I can't trust, and it's over. An essential to something that we hold to, and we can argue in, and believe in, and trust in, because it makes the gospel the gospel. Now, there are secondary issues that we can debate about, like colors of carpets, and that's third-level things, but we have all kinds of stuff that we can disagree about, but we don't have to necessarily divide in the faith, but we divide in practice. And you need to be okay with the practice here at Olive Branch. And if you are, guys, be in. Be in. If you like what we're doing for outreach, then be in. Get engaged with outreach. Get engaged with evangelism. Get engaged with the discipleship. Step into the pathway. Take your next step. Become a member. Start a ministry. God has given you a specific gift because you're the church. He has given you the opportunity to play your part to do the thing that you have to do. Yesterday, I had the great opportunity of going to one of my son's soccer games. That was an intense, awesome soccer game. Because there was a, it was the two like tied first place teams that were going to play each other. Oh my gosh, I haven't seen that fun of a game since like I was in high school. It was so intense. These little 9, 10, 11 year olds, intensely, they woke up in the morning and I can't, there's a bunch of olive branchers on both sides, right? There was like three of us families and three of their families and we were gathering, talking about it beforehand. All the kids had woke up, you know, or the night before had gone to bed going, God, please let us win. They were all praying the same prayers. And so, like, they were super intense. They were giving everything from their spiritual lives to their best efforts and all they were doing. And, man, so this game is going back and forth. And these kids are sweating, and they're getting tired, and they're getting their all, and the coaches are yelling, do that and do that and kick that, and they're doing it. They're doing everything they can because they both want to win so badly. And we were, like, just joking, like, okay, so you got a pastor on both sides. you got you got kids on both sides who are Christians. They're all praying for it. What does God do in these situations? They tied. <laughs> Pretty awesome. They tied. I love that. But what I love about it is that what you saw in those kids is what you should see in the church that you know your position, you understand what God has gifted you to, you're giving it your all. And when you're playing your position and you're greeting those people, you're making that coffee, you're talking about that faith, you're sharing what you're doing. When you're engaged in what God has for you to engage, the church comes alive and it makes ground and it gains ground and it starts pushing back the darkness. The church doesn't win because the church has become something that consumes. It doesn't live it out. And I'm challenging you guys, if you're here and you're in, let's be in all the way. And if you're not in with what we're doing, go to where you are because the churches in Corona need us to be in. We ain't going to do it alone. Every church in this city that holds to the gospel needs you to be committed to that way that they're doing it, that methodology that they have. Because if that entire congregation was in, they would grow. 
Man, we should be praying, God, make us a church of 10,000 and the smallest in the city. That's called revival. And when we're all in and we're all invested with the very gifts the Spirit of God has given you and you're using it and he's working through you, that brings a revival in your soul. And when that adds up in church after church, because some people go, you know, I can't commit here, but you can go somewhere else and commit, do it. Do it. It's not about attendance. It's about the kingdom of God moving forward. It's about the gospel growing it is about us taking this message to the south and here everywhere we can and having and praying that every other church would as well. Just because we're in different locations doesn't mean we don't agree about the gospel. In the gospel, we agree. We just differ in delivery. And our goal is to ensure that we are not dividing in the wrong ways. Now, that all being said, Paul and Barnabas is a good parable to remind us that leadership will have their divisions. There will be some divisions in leadership, and we need to be okay with that. There are going to be times, because think about it. If you have two real leaders in the same room, oftentimes those leaders have different visions God has given leaders. And leaders will disagree. They will butt heads. They will see different things. They will have different philosophies. And you're going to see churches have to let people go, and that may be the person you love. And keep somebody, you're like, yeah, they're cool, but okay. But they can differ, and, you, and sometimes we go with those people, and sometimes we stay, and sometimes this happens in a way that, that it, it always engenders growth if we focus on the gospel. Now, I know a pastor who literally, he worked years and years and years with an executive pastor that was, it was getting more and more difficult, and he had to release him. And the most difficult thing about that release was it was his brother. Can you imagine that Christmas? Ooh, but it's, but it's been something that was powerful for their church. It was something that he's gone on to, both brothers have gone on to do things. But the point is that there is going to be division. So my, my, my answer here is pray for your leadership. Satan wants to chop your leadership up. Satan wants to chop the leaderships of churches up. He wants to break them down so that they dissolve and fail. And we need to be praying for those people who are preaching and leading, not just for their moral strength, but for their ability for unity. And I want to encourage you, maybe you left a church. Maybe it's been years ago or whatever, and, and it was a bad situation where you had to confront the pastor or something like that, and yet they're still in the gospel and stuff, or maybe you just agree, disagreed with their methodology. If they're still Christians and you know it, I would advise you to go back and make sure this isn't a permanent rift. Paul and Barnabas did not keep this as a permanent rift. In fact, we know later in 1 Corinthians, Paul will reference Barnabas as one of his partners, as if some, at some point they had regathered together. But we also know that later he would receive Mark. Notice as he's writing to his protege, Paul will write to Timothy. He says, hey, Luke alone is with me. That's the author of the book of Acts. It's like, oh, Dr. Luke, is, he's still with me. Well, go get Mark. And this is John Mark. Get Mark and, and bring, him with, bring him with you. Yeah, that guy who was really unhelpful for me in ministry because for he is very useful for me in ministry. Gone from the guy who abandoned me is the guy who I need him. Bring him here. I need to talk to him. I need him part of this. This is the last letter he would write. It was very clear that he went from division to unity. He had brought him in from a guy he wouldn't have on his team to somebody who's like, I need this guy. Now, that's not saying Barnabas was right. It's not saying that Paul was right. But it's just saying you cannot allow the divisions in your life with maybe some leaders to remain forever. We need to go back. We need to make sure they are, those are made right, bury those hatchets or whatever, because we need to keep our eyes on the gospel. Because when that happens, guys, division can lead to the multiplication. 
of the gospel. It can lead to a multiplication of it. Notice what happens with Paul and Barnabas. Let's keep reading as we pick it up. Verse 39. It says, so they, um, whoops. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. So they go back to the island and they start ministering there. And what we know is that Barnabas is considered the patron saint, the founder of the churches in Cyprus to this day. To this day, thousands of years later, they look back to this man, Barnabas, as their person. They say, that's the guy who founded our churches. He's the one who strengthened them and enabled them. And then it goes on, and it says that, well, Paul, he took with him Silas and departed, and having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And as we follow Paul, what we're going to discover is not only did he go down and read the letter and strengthen those churches, he went on through all the churches in Asia Minor and Turkey and then went all the way across and wound up in Macedonia, which is northern Greece, and preaching the gospel there launched all kinds of churches. What God did is he took this moment that the devil wanted to use to divide, what the flesh wanted to use to break, and he multiplied the ministry. And that's because both men kept focused on the gospel. And whether or not people leave or stay, God will multiply the gospel as they go. I know this. I've seen it in my own life. A few years ago ourselves, we, my, me and our, my executive pastor had to part ways. We had to go different directions. Because our philosophies of ministry were just not jiving. They just weren't connecting after years and years and years of trying. Now, a few years later, I would, we would meet up at a, at, a, at a coffee shop, and we would talk through the hurts and the differences that we had had, and we pretty much buried the hatchet and, and made it right. But he went on, and he, he went on to a ministry over here in Corona Life Services. And he took it from a, a, some a struggling location. It was going through some really difficult times. And he brought it through leadership to where it's thriving. And it's doing really well. The gospel is growing because he went there. And guys, Olive Branch is growing. We've never had such good policies underneath. We've not had, the staff is doing awesome. But you guys are working and moving and joining a ministry. The, the attendance is bigger than it's been in, in oh, gee, five, six years we see strength in the giving. You guys, are, you guys are passionate about the James Projects and this Fall Festival, all these things. You guys are pouring into this city, and you are alive. And I'm praising God for that because it's just an image that this, though it was a painful thing to go two different directions, God multiplied the ministries in both locations. And this can happen in all these things. In fact, there is a time where you have to decide to divide. We're already planning on that, aren't we? When we talked about multi-site back in January, it's a serious consideration. We're saying some of us, a portion of us, are going to get up and we're going to go down south. And a portion of us, we're going to stay here. And those of us who stay here, we're going to reach into South Corona. We're going to bring the gospel as best we can. Those who go down south to Timiskel Valley, you're going to reach past that, that horrible, nasty traffic. And you're going to go out there and you're going to spread the gospel down there. And guess what, guys? When we do that, yeah, we're going to have to say goodbye to some of our friends and our small groups and some of that. But it's not because, oh, I want to hold on because I love these people. and we need No, it's to say goodbye because we want to see the gospel grow. We're going to separate intentionally for the sake of the gospel to multiply in two places. And that's the goal. It's about the kingdom growing. It's not about just simply sometimes our friendships. We're going to have to say goodbye at times. But it can be worth it in the ultimate sense because you're going to have your friends with you who are Christians forever. And the beauty of this is such an opportunity that in the gospel we can agree, but we can differ in our delivery. Now the question is this, though. What about those times where, you know, you, you don't agree in the gospel? 
What about those places that they think the gospel is different than we do? Well, that's why I say some divisions are more necessary than others. Right now, there are plenty of churches that are slow walking away from the gospel. They're backing it up out of relevance, out of a desire, because they think if we just do this, then we'll reach more people. If we change this theology, we adjust this aspect about sin, we start saying things like, you're good enough in who you are. God made you, and if you'll just live out who you are and accept your brokenness, that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Yes, you are created by God. Praise the Lord, you're made in his image. But every single one of us in here are broken, fallen, messed up. We have deep evil desires that's, that rage in our souls. Desires of pride, desires of lust, desires of gluttony, desires of greed, they, they rage inside of us all. And there is something somewhere in your heart that you wonder, God, why do I have to suffer with this? Why do I have to struggle with this? And we all need to starve those desires and lay them at the cross because we're not saved by just accepting ourselves. You are saved in no other name but Jesus Christ. Jesus bore your sins. He took upon himself the penalty of our sin. You see, when we were made, we were made in the image of God, but we were broken, and we give in to that brokenness, guys. We sin against God. And the Bible says you reap what you sow. You're going to sow those seeds of sin. One day they're going to land in your lap. They're going to be bigger than ever, and they're going to be greater than ever, and you're going to have to stand before God one day and face him in face to face and explain your sin. What are you going to do when you have nowhere to turn? Your good enough isn't good enough, and your darkness is exposed, and you will stand before God, and you will face the penalty. Trust me, one day when I'm there, the only answer I have is this. You said that Jesus Christ will bear my sins, and that's all I can do is but trust that. See, I understand one thing about heaven. Everyone in heaven will know one truth. They don't deserve to be there. Every true Christian knows they deserve hell. Every true Christian has come to the contemplation, the realization that because of what they have done, hell is totally, totally their result. And so I believe lots of people that will be in hell who think they shouldn't be there. But everyone in heaven knows they deserved it. But save Jesus Christ, they enter into heaven. And you may be coming to Olive Branch, and you may have been coming here for years, and you may be serving, you may be leading a small group, and you think that, get, that makes you right with God. No, unless you have come to the conclusion that you deserve hell and Jesus is your only answer, you're not a Christian. Receive that now and be saved. You need him, and he loves you. You can't be good enough. You can't make it up. You can't do enough prayers. You can't do enough service. He accepts you in the brokenness that you are. He places that junk on the cross. When you receive him, Jesus bears it, rises from the dead, gives you life, and he moves into your life to lead you through it. Receive him now. This is the message we unify around. It is no wonder then that Paul would take it so seriously as somebody preaches to you something different that they should be cursed. He says it in Galatians. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone preaching to you a gospel is contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. And there are people out there, there are churches out there that are not preaching that gospel. I'm sorry, I have a lot of close friends who are Mormons. But they do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've changed it into a works-based religion that gives you godhood. 
It is not about knowing God and walking with Christ and and receiving his forgiveness. They even think the fall was something that was good. Jehovah's Witnesses do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They preach the gospel of, of the watchtower. And it is a works righteousness that you have to keep right with their church to be saved and have the potential maybe one day to get into heaven. And this is not the gospel. The gospel is given to all of us that if we would receive Jesus Christ, you would be saved. The worst sinner to the best saint. All of us need the one work of Jesus. And I'm sorry, there are churches out there that want to make a claim that you got to add some works onto that. No. No, it is in Jesus Christ alone, by his righteousness alone, that we are saved, by grace, through faith. And that is yours. And that is the message of Jesus Christ. When a church walks away from that, they stop being a church. They stop. They may use the word church, but hey, I know some people who, who, who think that they're Christians, but they've never donned a door of a church, never given their life to Christ. They just grew up Americans, and so they say they're Christians. That's like calling yourself a car because you're hanging out in the garage, right? <laughs> churches can cease to be churches because they've walked away from the gospel. Of the gospel, we will agree. And then we can differ in the delivery. But we're going to stay focused on the gospel. We're going to stay focused on the scriptures. And that means we're going to look at churches who preach the gospel not, at our, not as our competitors. There are brothers and sisters in Christ striving to reach this city. And you know what this city needs? The city needs revival. Do you know what the state of California needs? Revival. Do you know what the United States needs? It needs an awakening. It needs a revival. But revival isn't going to happen. Revival isn't going to happen until the revival comes to our own hearts. Revival isn't going to happen until we awaken to walk in the work that Jesus has given you to walk in. And a revival isn't going to happen until all the saints and all the other churches of the gospel are standing up and they too revived, revive their churches. And then as we sit at the crossroads of the 91 and the 15 freeway with 200,000 plus people surrounding us with access to LA, access to the desert, access to Arizona, access to the north and the south in San Diego, we are positioned perfectly for the opportunity for the gospel to spread. And we should be revived and energized to see that all over the state. And it begins by us asking our God to open the hearts of the churches around us, our brothers and sisters and ourselves. And so what we're going to do is we're going to conclude by praying for our brothers and sisters in these churches. This is just a short list of the churches in Corona. There's like over a hundred church plants and some of them aren't biblical churches. Some of them are interesting like New Age Unity groups and so they're not up here. The, uh, these, are, these are the ones that I can attest to. I know the pastors and I know they preach the gospel. And I want to encourage you guys today to pray. Now you know some of these churches. You know people in some of these churches. And you know that they, are, they love Jesus. And what we want to do today is we want to pray that God would awaken the congregations and awaken these churches to taking that gospel as far out as we can. And there are some on here that aren't on there. If you know them, pray for them. Lift them up. You may know some churches that are fighting for the soul of their church. Pray for those people who have remained in those churches. But we're going to do that right now, and we're going to do that together. 
So pick out some of those churches you would like to pray for. And in your seat, just where you're at, you can pray with your spouse or whatever. Just pray. But we're not going to stand up and pray out loud. Just too many people in here. We're just going to we're gonna stay and just, just take this time and just pray over some of these churches. Father, we lift these churches before you. We lift our, our church before you. We ask that you would indeed be, begin a revival in our hearts and souls, begin a revival in this city. God, we pray for those who are the churches here that are mentioned. We pray for their leadership, that there would be unity, God, that there would be clarity of their direction. God, we pray for those who are those churches, those, those saints that you have, our brothers and sisters who occupy these places, strangers to us, and yet they are those who know you. God, revive them, wake them to do and act upon the gifts that you've given them. God, help them dive deep to knowing you and be ready to share that wherever they go. God, bless them in their missions and what you've called them to, in their discipleship, in their outreach, in their leadership. Lord, to have them be open to grow and know you more and more, but have them be passionate to press into the culture and bring about your revival. We beg of you, God, because it is upon your church, your local church, that you have laid the weight of the transformation at this time through the gospel of Jesus. You've given us this message, and it is through your church that it will be done. So use us, we pray. Use us, we pray. Move us now. We ask this in the name of Jesus and all of God's children said, Amen.